Amen. Let's uh, turn in our Bible, shall we, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. My uh, daughter and son-in-law, who is your praise and worship leader, is out of town. They went up to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, my two grandsons are in uh, a karate program here and have been for several years. Uh, but up in Minnesota, they have what they call the Diamond Nationals, and they rank the kids according to their color belt as well as their age. My oldest grandson came home number one. He's got a trophy as tall as I am. He's the best in the entire nation for his belt color and his size. I, I watched his match. My other one came in. He took a, a second, a third, and a fifth. I'm go really? My grandsons? Where'd they get talented genes like that? Obviously, Kathy. <laughs> my sweetheart passed on her genes to my daughter, and, and they're as smart as, as my daughter is, and it's just as precious as they could be. Uh, uh, parents are so proud. Um, as well, um, we have someone in our midst that I would like to acknowledge this morning, Dennis Heisey. Would you please stand? This is a friend of ours who is running for political office for the Senate in the state of Colorado. And because he is here, I can hold him now accountable for Christian conduct for the rest of his eternity. <laughs> so I see you. I got your number. <laughs> but he's a man whose values are well worth looking into. Uh, if you're interested in correcting the current trajectory that this nation is on, that this state is on, I can encourage you strongly to look into the candidates that are running their political positions. We have voters' guides out in the foyer rack, which is totally nonpartisan, but simply tells you what they told uh, the interviewers on a, uh, on a phone call. They said, this is what we stand for and believe in. We simply mark down their answers. If you agree with them, vote for them. If you don't, don't vote for them. It just it couldn't get any, any more. You say, well, as a Christian, I'm not a political person. <clears throat> Think that through. You and I have a responsibility to put as godly a men and women in political office as we possibly can. And if there are two choices out there, one is more biblical than the other, one more godly than the other, then I believe we're bound by the Holy Spirit to do what's right and to try to stand up for what's right and see if we can't steer this nation, this state, this city back to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, I've lived here since 1961, and I have never seen a greater peril than we face today in the state of Colorado. I never thought things politically could have gotten where they're at or the homeless situation or the drug situation or a hundred different other issues. If you haven't noticed it, it costs more to buy basic food stuff at, at, at Walmart. You know, my, my grocery bill is going up. My income's going down. I know we've heard, well, the standard of living is, is going up and paychecks are getting higher. Whose? I haven't had a raise in five years. How about you? <laughs> Should we just, it's not in an environment where people are passing out big money like this. So I think that because we are responsible members of our community, vote, please, in Jesus' name. When you have the chance to, to put as godly a, a people as we possibly can in office, I think it's incumbent upon us to do that. I am not Democrat, I am not Republican, I am not independent, I am a Christian, first and foremost, a pastor, second husband to my wife, father to my children, and grandfather to my grandkids, first and foremost. I really don't care what your political persuasion is, but vote biblical values, please. It really is that simple.
about biblical values. With that, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and thank you again, Dennis, for being with us this morning. It's, it's our privilege. I, I hope to step on your toes greatly uh, with the uh, message that we have before us, but I didn't write the book, so you're in good hands. Mark chapter 1, we had plowed through the, uh, the first half of this chapter, uh, remembering John. His name is John Mark. John is his Hebrew name. God is gracious. That's what his name means. Remember when names used to mean something? Well, they sure did in the, in the Bible. <clears throat> Mark is a Latin Roman name, uh, so perhaps he came from uh, a mixed uh, marriage, his mother and father perhaps, two different belief systems. Very humble man, but a man who does not believe in staying long on, on things. He moves at the speed of light. If he was a track star, he would be doing phenomenal things at the Olympics because he goes boom, 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 boom. He moves, and you've got to keep up with him. He's assuming you're going to look at the other Gospels and fill in the details, but he is not a details guy. You want details? You go to Matthew. You want the physical aspects of the medical practices of that day, you go to the Gospel of Luke. You want to know all about the love of Jesus, love, love, love. Nobody uses the word more than the Gospel of John. But Mark is, I mean, when you believe in the bullet points, Mark is a book of bullet points. This is boom, boom, boom. Just know the basics and stick with it, do it, and you'll be just fine. Uh, Jesus, in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1, it called his first disciples, in 21 and 28, he had driven out an unclean spirit. Now, this is radical to me. I have difficulty proceeding through that passage uh, where Jesus drives out an evil spirit in verse 21 because he does it in church. Bet that busted up their church service a little bit. Hey, we got a demon-possessed guy who's frothing at the mouth and making all sorts of demonic noises back there, speaking in three different languages and, and tongues at the same time, and he's disruptive, and the, he's snarling, and you go, yeah, the church is usual, right? Mm. Why didn't they do something about the man's condition? Why hadn't those Jewish elders prayed for the man? Why did they tolerate that? They, they knew he was in bondage. They served the one true living God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Why hadn't they cast the demon out of this man? Jesus came, and I think it was a rebuke to the religious establishment of his day that he cast him out in, in with very, very few words. Notice it's not a week-long exorcism. There's no holy water involved. There's no priest and priestly robes involved because those things don't cast out demons. Jesus does. That's the power that casts out the demons. I have no power. Jesus has all power, but because he is in me, he has delegated some of his power to his church to accomplish his will, work, and purposes these last days. If I can draw your attention, if you move over there to verse 29 then, I, I just... <laughs> I struggle with that. A demon-possessed guy in your church service and nobody takes notice. Nobody tries to help him. And as Jesus increases his reputation around the Lake of Galilee simply by his healing ministry and fulfilling Scripture about what the Messiah would do when he came, uh, love and compassion seem to ooze from the man and he touches and heals everybody that nobody else wanted to touch or heal. That's why he healed the demon-possessed guy in church. Nobody else wanted to, to dirty their hands with that work. Jesus says, I'll, I'll set them free. How many people are there in the world today that just need to be set free? 
the, the mistake that you and I make sometimes in looking at the political landscape uh, of our day and age today is we somehow or another expect Christian out of Christian behavior out of people that don't know the Lord. Pagans act like pagans. Why? Because they're pagans. There's a revelation for you. Christians should act like Christians because they are Christians. They are spirit-filled. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. They walk in humility. They walk in grace. They walk in love. And yet they are tenacious in the grip of their faith. That's the kind of of men and women that I believe the church needs these, these last days. Our society needs these last days. So in verse 29, as they left the synagogue where the demon had been cast out, uh, that is the synagogue at Capernaum, by the way. That synagogue still stands today. You can take a trip over there and see it. So every place this book that you hold in your hand touches on archaeology, this book has been validated and vindicated. Every single place this book, the Bible, touches on history, ancient history. It's been vindicated. I remember for years and years and years, uh, the Hittites were seen as a biblical uh, point of imagination. There were no Hittites. Until finally, in the 20th century, they did some archaeological digs in modern-day Turkey, and they said, oops, the Hittites were so important, they're the first ones to invent iron. Pretty important people group. But we were dismissed as nutcases because it was biblically unsubstantiated. But everything that we see in the Word of God has been substantiated by either history, archaeology, or science. Science is not opposed to Scripture. In fact, science has no answers when you push science to the ultimate ends. When you come to the ultimate ends of physics or chemistry, any of the hard sciences, biology, they throw up their hands and they go, I don't know. Where did life start, you ask your biology professor at UCCS? Well... We think there may have been a mud puddle that got struck by lightning. And maybe there was some kind of organic material in there, and somehow or another life came out of it. And then we've all evolved from that. Really? Who made the stuff that was in the pond? Who made the pond? Who created the water that was in the pond? Do you have any evidence that anything has ever evolved? I mean, we pretty much look like we did uh, thousands and thousands of years ago. You say, well, what about the Neanderthals? I know a lot of Neanderthals. They're still with us today. There's Cro-Magnons everywhere you look, mostly in large cities, inner cities. Uh, Those kind of Cretans abound. That doesn't surprise me. But because people have different bone structures, facial features, or skin color, doesn't mean they're not the sons and daughters of God made in His image and should be respected on all levels. People need the Lord. But in light of what's going on today, while it is easy to get angry, I know it is. Fill up your car and try not to get angry. Go to Walmart, leave with two little skinny bags, and your bill is $85. You're thinking, I'm eating beans, rice, macaroni, and cheese, man. I can't cut this a whole lot skinnier. It's easy to get angry. Pray instead. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. I think in this context, it's a sin when you're angry, but you refuse to pray about this situation. God can move hands and hearts, commit it into His hand. And it takes kind of that war that's in your soul, kind of takes it out and just it evaporates in the presence of the Lord. So I encourage you, always be spending time in the Word, build your altars at your house, 
Sit down with the Lord daily with a cup of coffee, read, pray, seek His face. Jeremiah promised you'll seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's where we stumble. But we're so busy. I got this to do. I got that to do. Hmm. Do you have less time than Jesus Christ had when He walked the earth? Isn't it the same 24 seven kind of situation that he faced, and yet he had time to do the will of his Father. I don't see Jesus stressed out and go, oh, man, i got to be in synagogue in Nazareth in just 20 minutes. You see that anywhere in Scripture? Did I miss that part? Uh, why do we get stressed out? Because we're sinful, fallen flesh, and we're easily taken by surprise. When we find out we're not as godly as we thought we were, we understand there's room for improvement. God loves me. He loves me through all of my failures, shortcomings, but he doesn't want me to stay in my failures and shortcomings. He loves you and will accept you just as you are, but loves you too much to leave you just as you are. Because when you came to the cross, you were a hot mess. Just say amen. We only varied in kind and degree of sins committed, but we didn't know the Lord. We acted like pagans because we didn't know the Lord. So when we see that kind of behavior in the world today, pray for those folks. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And someday he's coming back for his church. The whole Galilean milieu of the first century was a thriving fishing town and commercial enterprise. In fact, there were about 200 towns scattered around this little lake that's only eight miles across. Uh, there were 200 towns that had a population of 15,000 or more. That's a well-populated area, and a, and a lot of people in the area would have an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. So he leaves the, the uh, synagogue there at, at Capernaum. It's a two-block walk from the Capernaum synagogue to the house of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, which is very, very close, was to the shoreline of the original Lake of Galilee. Uh, Drought has caused the water levels to drop tremendously, but still you can walk there. It's a very small village that you you can just feel the Lord's presence in that place. So in verse 30 it says, as they get there, uh, they went with James and John to the home of Simon And Andrew, Simon's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Obviously, he's short on details that you pick up a lot more of in Matthew and Luke's gospel, uh, especially. This is not the first miracle that Jesus did. That took place at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned the water into wine. Remember that, uh, where the guy ran out, the host ran out of wine, and they said, well, Jesus, can you do something about this? And Mary leans over and gives Jesus the elbow and says, can you do anything? Suddenly he goes, my time is not yet. You know, I'm not, okay, fine, mom. You know how moms can be. Turn the water into wine. Some people say, no, they, he turned it into grape juice. That's not what it says. It says wine. In the Greek, you know what wine means? Wine. There's a, I, I studied years to know these things. I just wanted you to know that I've, I'm diligent. There's two Greek words for wine. One is unfermented or lightly fermented wine. The other one's pretty heavy duty. And the word wine there that Jesus turned it into is the heavy duty stuff that you typically find at a wedding. It isn't grape juice. The word grape juice in the, in the Greek is glucose. It's not found in the New Testament. It's not found there. 
So Jesus didn't turn anything into grape juice. You say, then how come when we have communion, you serve grape juice? Because some of you would want two or three or four cups. So we're not going to do that. You know, I, I don't want to stumble anybody coming out of a background that may have, uh, you know, prevented them from enjoying true wine and communion. I'm not going to stumble anybody. So we serve Welch's grape juice. However, one time to save a few bucks, we bought the Walmart cheap stuff. And, and, we, and I didn't check the expiration date. <clears throat> and we, we went to, and served communion up. And uh, I would swear it was the cheapest, rot-guttest wine I ever tasted in my whole life. And people were going, hey, can I have some more of this? Pastor, this is great. I don't think there was any alcohol in it, but it reminded me, if you're not drinking Welsh's, <laughs> you're going to stumble at somebody. So we, uh, <clears throat> we don't use generic anymore in this church. And we always check the expiration dates. So you don't have to act drunk. She's in bed with a fever. This is interesting. I, they, were, they told Jesus because they've seen him do miracles before. Could you do a miracle again? Could you do another miracle? How about you? Where's your theology? Are miracles for other people or just what you read about in the Bible that took place 2,000 years ago? Or do you believe in miracles today? I believe in today with all of my heart. In fact, by virtue of the fact that you're here, you're a miracle. God saved you. That's a miracle. Most of us have a testimony that gives him glory for the wretched mess that we were and what he's made us today and clothed us in the righteousness of his own son. So the, the healing of, of this lady, the details, you, like I said, you can look up in Matthew 8 and, and Luke chapter 4. But Luke specifically says, and Luke's a physician. I'm interested in his viewpoint. He, that is Jesus, bent over her and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them, Luke 4.39 records for us. That's the only one that says that. But Luke was very close. And as a physician, he's going, yes, she's sick. So what's Jesus do? Give her an antibiotic? COVID shot? <laughs> she needs a miracle. Sometimes you need a miracle. You don't need a shot. You don't even need a doctor. But Luke records that without a doctor's intervention, she is healed by Jesus rebuking that. Now, do you remember when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that the disciples received the Holy Spirit at that moment? I do with all of my heart. That means the same Holy Spirit that fell upon Jesus at his baptism is in you and me this morning. Okay? I encourage you to be as bold as Jesus was. You, do, you know where the power comes from. It's not you and me. We have been delegated a measure of his authority. But I encourage you, well, Pastor Jim, I'm not sure when I should lay hands on sick people and when I shouldn't. You should do it every time the Holy Spirit tells you to. Well, don't you need to be a pastor to heal? Jesus was a carpenter. Hmm? He laid hands on people. You can anoint people. Anointing is always emblematic in Scripture of the work and person of the Holy Spirit. Feel free to anoint him with oil. But he rebuked this fever. He rebuked this disease process. One of the few times he did it this particular way. He had no standard modus operandi. He was at the women disposal of God. When God said, spit on the ground, make a little dirt, and pack it in the blind guy's eyes. What? My spit's not that strong. Making a mud pie out of it and asking a guy, can I pack this in your eyes? You think, this is never going to work. And yet that was the methodology that, that the Father had Jesus employ and a miracle took place. 
I think we should always be obedient to the Lord because the Holy Spirit will always guide and direct us to ways that are consistent with Scripture. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. When you ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you with power and the spiritual gifts, can I just calm your fears? You're not going to chase cars, bark, or howl at the moon. You won't be bringing trampolines to work. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? He empowers you supernaturally for acts of service. That's all. It's nothing scarier than that. Do you need more love, joy, peace, patience? That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again in chapter 14, Romans, and in Ephesians, it all talks about spiritual gifts that God gives you that range from speaking in tongues and healings in the plural, which means there's a lot of different ways to do it, different manifestations, but the same Holy Spirit. God will let God be God. But I think if everybody in this room prayed for the sick, rebuked the fevers, Use the power of God. You might see miracles that you would never see otherwise. I don't know how much of God you want. That's really the, the, the bottom line, isn't it? Well, that's your job, Pastor. That's why we pay you the big bucks. A, you don't pay me big bucks. <clears throat> but I do lots of anointing. But I'm just one. You're hundreds. I need you to step up and do your part. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If he healed, do you believe that you can because Jesus is inside of you? You're waiting for what then? The blessing from your pastor? Edominus vobiscum, eat your biscuits. It's as much Latin as I know. Biscuits aside. <laughs> Take this healing seriously. Do you believe in miracles? I do with all of my heart. Some people say, well, miracles stopped with the advent of the Bible. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible, nowhere. It says when that which is perfect, perfect comes, uh, the imperfect disappears. Well, the Bible is perfect, but it's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, then we won't need the spiritual gifts. We'll be in our glorified bodies. We'll have Jesus reigning over the whole entire earth. Who needs spiritual gifts then? But until he comes back, an imperfect church needs some supernatural empowering. That just makes crystal clear sense to me. So the gifts are temporary. Don't know what your spiritual gift is? Ask. Pray. Search the Scriptures. See what God has for you. I ask for all of the spiritual gifts. I think he gave me one. <laughs> but I won't stop asking for all of them. I mean, I, I've been praying for the gift of tongues my whole life. I've been a Christian for 50 years, 51 years this year. And I've been praying for the gift of tongues, and God gave it to my wife instead. Bummer. Didn't even seem right to me. She didn't even ask. She didn't even ask, and she got the gift of tongues. I asked for it for 50 years. I get what? The gift of teaching. I love to teach. With all of my heart, I love to teach. I sure wish I had tongues, too. <laughs> In fact, I wish I had all of the spiritual gifts. Wouldn't it be cool to go over to Memorial Hospital and clean it out? Would that be deluxe or what? So uh, I, I think you should ask for everything and use the spiritual gifts that he imparts to you. Be content. Be content with that. Whether it's great or small, that's irrelevant. Contentedness is really the issue. 
So Simon's mother was in bed. He rebukes the fever, and she began to wait on it. Interesting word, wait. It's where we get the word deacon. In its earliest sense, it meant a person that waits on tables. If you've been out to eat lately, a waiter or a waitress came to your table. That's what that word means, deacon. It's not a title. It's not a badge that you wear. So look at me. I'm important in this church. No, it means servant. Servant. The guy who takes out the trash. The gal that helps clean the, the, the toilets. Helps out in Sunday school. or a thousand different other areas. She woke up from her fever here and began to wait on them. What do you think Jesus would like you and I to do? Wait on people. We had a rock party yesterday. It had nothing to do with music. We had 20 tons of quarter uh, inch and a half uh, quarry cut rock delivered to the church so we could fill in all of the areas where we used to have mulch, but thanks to Colorado's weather, uh, the mulch went to Kansas uh, via air transport. So we put out uh, rock in, instead, you know. Um, now, I can handle a shovel about a, as well as anybody for about, 10 minutes, <laughs> uh, and then I, I kind of need somebody else to help me out. I'm not a lazy man. I don't mind shoveling rock. We had 20 tons of it. You shoveled 20 tons of rock lately? We shoveled 20 tons of rock just three weeks before that. So I was out there shoveling rock, and I was wishing for servants to shovel rock with me. You don't need a degree. You don't even need a spiritual gift or calling to do that. But if you're physically capable of it, boy, I'd love the help. Some of you are not physically capable of it. But I find myself being less and less physically capable of doing that kind of stuff too. So she got up and started waiting on tables for these guys. Can I make you something to eat? She must have been somebody's mother as well as grandmother because that's the first thing she does. Here, let's start. Here, can I get you something to eat or drink? You need some milk or some cookies or iced tea or something? She's waiting on them. Oh, circle the word wait because that's what God wants you to do. Be a servant. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. You don't need my permission, although you've already got my blessing. What more do you need? Dumpster is in back, by the way. I mean, if God's calling you to empty the trash cans, you know, I just want you to know the dumpster's in the back of the church there and... Uh, all of the janitorial supplies are between the men's room and the women's room right down that hallway there. It, just in case you, you know, like had any, any questions, she began to wait on them. And there's a part of me that says, yeah, I need a thousand of them in the, in the church today. Verse 32, then after uh, the sunset, it is the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. So Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He would later be hounded by critics who say, no, no, no that's doing a work. Oh, it's more gracious to leave them suffering over the Sabbath and then wait till Monday rolls around or Sunday. After evening, after sunset, when the Sabbath stopped in verse 32, the people brought to Jesus all of the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. I'm, I'm careful of the wording there. Verse 32 said, the people brought to Jesus all the sick. And then in verse 34, it says he healed many. It doesn't say all. The wording is exactly as it is in the Greek language as you have it in the Bible that you hold in your hands. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because 
they knew who he was. He didn't need demons to do his advertising. His works spoke for themselves. He did the things that the Messiah, when he comes, was expected to do. Jews had to wait till Sabbath was over after sunset before carrying anyone or anything else to Jesus or, or even walking more than a thousand paces from their homes. Jewish tradition added, to, added legalism to the law. They couldn't walk more than a thousand paces uh, on, on the Sabbath. It was considered a violation, and breaking the Sabbath was a capital offense in some Judean circles. So you can just imagine, okay, I'm counting every step I take, but I got to get to Grandma's house right after church service. So instead of, you know, just walking, I'm going, okay, one, two, and you try to stretch out your thousand paces as long as you can. That's legalism. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible you can't walk more than a thousand paces. It was supposed to be a day of rest. You should take that literally, but not legalistically. You see the difference? Yes, I want to keep every bit of the Word of God, but I find in looking it up in Exodus, I, in my quiet time, uh, this week I was in Exodus where God says, the Sabbath is a covenant I am making between myself and Israel. It doesn't even apply to you. That's why we worship on Sunday, not Saturday. A, we're not Jews. B, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the pivotal turning point in all of history as far as I'm concerned. But I've had some well-meaning people say, well, Pastor, you and your entire congregation are going to hell because you don't worship on Saturday. So I like to share with people sometimes, if you run across a person that is of that persuasion, you might have them wander over to the book of Colossians. In fact, would you turn there with me? Turn right of where you're at to the teeny little four-chapter book of Colossians to the right of where you're at. I'm looking at chapter 2 and verse 16. Are you there? I'm there, Pastor. Say it. Okay. Verse 16, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. What you eat or drink is between you and the Lord, not me. Now, drunkenness is forbidden in Scripture. You know that. Do I care if you have a beer once in a while? No, I don't. Do I care if you have a wine, a glass of wine or a glass of champagne to celebrate? No, I don't care about those things. Those are non-issues for me. Don't let anybody judge you about what you eat or drink. You have no idea how much flack I've taken over the years by eating hot dogs. I love my hot dogs, and people say, well, you, you have no idea what's in those things. You know, you should read the back of the package. Why would I want to do that? Ignorance is bliss as far as I'm concerned. I love my hot dogs. Lay off my hot dogs. You don't like hot dogs, you don't have to eat them. But I will eat them all day long, and I'll, I just love my hot dogs. Don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Feel free to highlight that to people that tell you you're going to hell if you don't keep the Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. It's been fulfilled. My rest symbolically, is in Christ Jesus now. I'm not just going to worship Him when we get together for church. 
I'm going to worship him tomorrow morning, the next day, the next day, the next day. He's Lord 24-7 in my life, 365. I don't want to compartmentalize God to a once or twice a week experience. That is cold and dead religion. If this is a vibrant relationship that we have with Jesus, then I want to invest in that relationship every day. <clears throat> we got a new puppy dog at my house. Two months old. Pray for me. She wants to go to the bathroom everywhere <clears throat> inside the house. We're working with her on that. She has a long ways to go. It's uh, calling our, our patients into question. I wish I had more. <clears throat> but it dawned on me, all, all that puppy really needs is a little love and discipline. Like most Christians I know. Little love. You need love. You need to know that God loves you unconditionally. Sometimes you and I need a little correction. A little correction. But it just overwhelms my heart to, to see this little puppy dog that's teaching me so much about unconditional love. I can, I can spank her, her bottom for wee-wee in somewhere she shouldn't have, and I pick her up and she, she licks me. Good grief. She doesn't despise the discipline. She realizes this is part of the relationship. I talk to her. I pet her. What am I doing? I'm investing in the relationship. If we're smart enough to do that with our animals, why can't we do it with people? It's easy to hate. It's easy to polarize. It's easy to do all the things that the world is doing today. You should be at least as godly as my puppy dog. I'm not saying you have to lick anybody out there. Not, that's not what I'm saying. But unconditional love is something that all of us could use a little bit more of. Amen? Unconditional love. That means I'm going to love him. I'm going to love you till it hurts. And I'm going to love you some more. I'm going to love you whether you want to be loved or not. I will always do what's in your best interests. I will always try to do what is in your best interests. He deals with some of the sick, but not all of the sick. He is one man. He has limitations. And of all of the people that were ill on planet Earth at that time and season, what percentage did Jesus heal? The merest, smallest fraction of 1%. He doesn't always heal. But I always believe that he wants me to pray that he would heal and then see what he will do. He can use the physician Luke and does in his ministry to Paul throughout all of Paul's three missionary journeys. Sometimes God uses physicians. I'm not anti-physician at all. Until I'm told to wear the obedience mask because we're following the science. And then you ask them, what science? Well, I don't know. It's just what I was told to say. Well, that's the party line, but there is no science behind it. In fact, rebreathing your own air for long enough has to be damaging. In fact, we had Luke put on a mask one time at a doctor's appointment. He put the mask on, <coughs> and they checked his blood pulse ox level. Then they took the mask off, and he gained a point uh, higher in um, oxygen concentration. We don't have enough air up here anyway. So put a mask on, and you have a percentage less. Does that make sense to anybody? Now, if you cough, put your mask on. Or stay home, better. But a mask doesn't stop viruses, a thousand of which could hold hands side by side and walk through the smallest hole in a KN95 mask. That's absurd. Nobody is following the science. They just want you to be obedient. Shut up. Put on your obedience mask. Don't ask any questions. We're following the science. Although we don't know what that means, and there is no science behind it. 
uh, we live in a day and age where there is little faith and much fear. <clears throat> Take that issue to Jesus because a mask won't solve it. Take that issue to Jesus. He healed many, verse 34, back in Mark chapter 1, healed many who had various diseases, drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus didn't want his identity revealed before he had a chance to do it himself. He wanted people to search out the Scripture. Well, if this guy's the Messiah, what's that look like? And they'd go back to Isaiah chapter 53. Oh, he heals. Oh, he opens the eyes of the blind and unstops the ears of the deaf. Oh, he maybe he is the Messiah. So sometimes God doesn't always give you the easy answer. He wants you to look. Search the Scriptures. We're commanded in the New Testament. I think that is incumbent upon every, every one of us. You know, Luke 4.41 says that the demons knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. How did they know that? They saw Him in heaven before He came to earth. Of course they know He's the Son of God, and they would declare that openly, that which all creation except human beings, by and large, no, He's the Son of the living God. They knew He was the Christ. But can I say this? A simple confession of the fact does not save you. It's just a fact. I can tell you right now, the wind is blowing outside. I'm not saved by that fact. I can say Jesus is the Son of God well, because He is, factually. doesn't mean I'm saved. I may or may not have a relationship with Him. I may or may not have surrendered my life to Him. He may or may not be my Lord. But just because you say the words that the demons did doesn't mean you're saved. You have to have a relationship with this, this Son of God. James said this, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just love this. James 2.19. In fact, we can even... They're all look at that. You guys are so good back there in the sound booth. So proud of you, Bill. I'm going to put you in for a big raise. What's two times nothing? Do the math. Luke 4.41 says the demons knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. It's not just a confession that saves you. It's the reality of the relationship. You believe that there is one God, James says, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. They know there's one God. They know there is one true living God. All those that are pretenders, there are not many ways to heaven. There is one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes unto the Father but by me. That's a pretty narrow way, you say. Uh-huh. Sure it is. It's the right way, though. It's like the person that comes to me in church and says, well, I want to go down to Pueblo. How do I get to Pueblo? Okay, you go, to, you go down to Academy here, it's I-25, and you, you head south. Well, I don't want to take that way. Then you don't want to go to Pueblo. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to submit to Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. He's the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father by Him. you got to deal with it. Yeah, but I want to go to heaven some other way. Can't I go by Buddha? Really? He died for your sins? Lead a sinless life? Claim to be the Son of God? How about Muhammad? Quarter of the earth follows the teachings of Muhammad. But he never claimed to be the Son of God. There is not one single miracle attributed to him in, the, in his own Quran. And told his daughter on his deathbed, this is most instructive at all, he told his own daughter on his deathbed, I cannot save you. Wow. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Why, are, why do we not submit ourselves to Him thoroughly, consistently, constantly? Even the demons believe that Jesus is the Christ because He is. It's not the facts that save you. It's the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. It's, it's the surrender. Do you know Him? I mean, do you know Him? I, not know about Him. You can know all about George Washington. That doesn't mean you have a relationship with Him. You might just be a history nut. But to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is to win. Invite the King of kings and Lord of lords to take a residence in your heart, forgive you all of your sins, and in humility and confession of sin, embracing Him now and forever and living out a constant life of total surrender and capitulation, my will to His, all the time. All the time. That's what the Lordship of Jesus is about. Otherwise, you're just at best a religious person and at worst deceived. I don't want you to be either one. There is but one God. Do you know him? Because he sure knows you. And he loves you. Isn't that good news? Your mom and dad may not love you. Your dog may not love you. Maybe you can't tie a bone around your neck and have your dog lick you. But Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So he heals these people. Why? He loves us. He cares. He cares. It fulfilled scriptural prophecy, thirdly, about what the Christ, the Messiah, was supposed to do when he came. But even, even John the Baptist struggled with that. I remember in, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, when John heard in prison what Jesus the Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? The Jewish people wanted a conquering military hero. They wanted some guy to walk in with a vast army on the back of a white charger and kick Rome out of their country. That's what they wanted. So their messianic expectations were built around that misconception. So when Jesus came, you know, offering them forgiveness of sins, they weren't interested. But it was their greatest need. Jesus replied, well, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, Jesus is the suffering servant of Matthew, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 53. He fulfilled it all. Every single bit of it, nobody else did. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, and none of the Eastern religions. Jesus and Jesus alone. You'll remember in the synagogue at Nazareth when Jesus was teaching one time, he, he stood up and he quoted Matthew, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He said, he stood up there and he's teaching, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because Yahweh, the Lord, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where he stopped the quote because he didn't come to judge the first time. Next time he comes, he will. But he stopped the quote there. And every, every eye in the room was on him. Are you claiming to be the Christ? And he folded up the book and said, Yep, I am the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And there is no other. 
you know, you, you look at the pastor and you go, well, how did Jesus do these miracles? Because I've tried and I can't. I bought lottery tickets and I've never won. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. What was the secret of Jesus' ability and power to do these miracles? I think verse 35 gives us a hint in Mark chapter 1. What, what was his source of power? Where, where, where did the power, where, where does the power to do this supernatural come from? From God. Look at verse 35. Very early in the morning, the pre-dawn hours, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house there of Peter's mother-in-law at the shores of the Galilean Sea on the northwest side and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Sometimes you just got to get alone with God. Do it. Don't let the busyness pile up on you or the excuses. Sometimes you just need to be alone with God. There's a secret place where he desires to meet you and empower you to do things just as supernatural as the things Jesus did. Maybe not the same exact things he did in the same exact way. Every one of us is unique. But you, if you need power, this is where it begins. Verse 35 is your verse for today. Take it to heart. This is Jesus talking to you. I didn't write the book. But he's trying to impress this upon you and I because we are not prone to listen. James says, uh, you know, we should be slow to speak, quick to listen. Of course, that doesn't apply to pastors, but the rest of you guys should keep your speech short, you know. And uh, on my first note of closing, at the first of my 14 closings this evening, this morning, I would like to share with you verse 38. <clears throat> disciples had come, and you're off praying, but everybody's looking for you. There's work to be done. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, Jesus said, so I can preach there also, because that's why I've come. He's offering people eternal life. That's why he came. His power came from God, and he connected with God through the habit of prayer. Just praying, just seeking the face of God. Re refreshment in the Lord is different than it is in the world. Refreshment in the world is have a drink, stiff drink, and go to bed. And Jesus said, no, I need help. I'm going to go to a mountaintop and pray. The help the world offers offers us nothing by way of spiritual strength. Strength in and from prayer is, is what we see in this passage. <clears throat> Can I tell you, nothing, nothing tells me I desperately need prayer more than the fact that Jesus needed prayer. I'm not Jesus. He needed prayer. How much more? You and I. In, in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, the Lord had said this through his prophetic servant, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will Listen to you. This is a promise from God. It is a staggering promise that few of us avail ourselves of. God says, you pray to me. You seek me. I will listen. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with, say it, all of your heart. Don't play games with God. It's all in or all out. That's what God wants. He doesn't want half-hearted believers. Doesn't want Laodicean lukewarm Christians these last days. 
God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. What a glorious promise. You want to find God? You want to have a supernatural encounter with Him? Do you need that empowering to face what lies ahead in the near or distant future? This is the way to apprehend the same power that motivated Jesus in, in His ministry. So verse 39, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And then last but not least is this guy with leprosy. And I'll read it all in one fell swoop so you can get a contextual feel for it. A man with leprosy, just say, ew, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. That's humility. If you are willing... You can make me clean, filled with compassion. Oh, make me like you, Lord. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. In the Greek, it's one word. Jesus was not a man of many words. One word. No long exorcisms, no, no month-long healing session or holy water sprinkled by guys with some kind of fancy baton that's cloaked in gold. Just a simple be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. And Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. You see to it that you don't tell any, this to anybody, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. Even the Old Testament acknowledge the fact that miracles can time to time take place. Somebody gets healed of leprosy. Didn't Naaman get healed of leprosy in the Old Testament? At the word of God's prophet? Absolutely. Moses commands you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. In other words, they're going to find out that we can do miracles here. Those who believe in God. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. I mean, who could stop? Have leprosy? And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, giving him more time for prayer. Yet the people still came to him and from, from everywhere, just, just, just hounding him left and right. If you are willing, it said in verse 40, if you're willing, Lord, you can heal me. Boy, I've prayed that when I've had physical ailments assault me from time to time. Lord, you can heal me if you're willing. But you have to believe that that's a possibility. You have to believe in the God of miracles. The God who did the miracle of creation in Genesis chapter 1, 1, and does miracles all the way to the end of the book in Revelation, and miracles scattered throughout in between. Do you believe that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Then I have to believe in those miracles. There's an element of faith involved if God is going to do the supernatural. You have to exercise. His job is to provide the power. My job is to believe that it's a, a, able to be done. If you are willing, and Jesus was. Get this, it was unlawful for anybody to touch a leper. In fact, they had to holler out at the top of their voice when somebody came anywhere near. They had to cry out at the top of their voice, unclean, unclean. Cover themselves up because they were lepers with huge open sores it was a nasty disease that, that took a toll on many a, a life in, in the old days before it was called Hansen's disease and a cure found for it. Today it's a bacteriological infection that can be treated today. So in first world countries, we don't have leprosy anymore, but it's still alive and well in second, third uh, world countries around the, the globe today. You think about this, guy had leprosy, that means nobody had touched him. 
for how many years? You thrive on human touch. You thrive. There's all sorts of studies out there. You don't hold babies. You don't talk to babies. They don't develop well. They got some issues. People need each other. God made us social animals. If you doubt me, drive by any bar in Colorado Springs on Saturday night. They have a social need that was meant to be met in the church and centered around the working person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But man is a social animal. And those that don't turn their lives over to Jesus Christ often find themselves in such establishments looking for that human touch, a kind word, a little compassion, looking for love in all the wrong places. Isn't that how the old country western song used to go? He touched him. And nobody had since the man contracted the disease, didn't stop Jesus at all. The sacrifices he's talking about in verse 44 were to be evidence to the priests that Jesus was healing by divine power, by divine authority. They couldn't heal. They couldn't. This poor leper guy couldn't even go to church. How about that? COVID became the new leprosy. Don't touch him. Wear a mask. Glove up. Live in fear. Put on a whole suit of protective gear. That may be totally appropriate for people working in the hospitals. Nothing more than a little common sense. Knowing about the transmission of oral diseases should be all that we have had to have done. But somehow or another, we got talked into being confined to prison for three years. When we thought COVID was over, they said, well, it's not. Well, it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. all depends on who you're talking to. You listen to Lord Fauci. He tells you one thing. You listen to President Biden. He tells you COVID's over. And then you listen to his press secretary. He says, well, he didn't really mean that COVID's over. Well, which is it? There's so much confusion out there today. Don't walk in fear. Walk in faith. Wear a mask. You want to wear a mask? Wear a mask. But walk in faith, not fear, not doubt, not consternation. When people tell you they're following the science, ask them to show you the science. Give me the data. I'm a data-driven person as much as anybody. Show me the proof because I can't find it anywhere on the Internet. I find exactly the opposite. I should think that through. They couldn't heal in their, in their uh, synagogues. They couldn't heal at the temple. But it was prophesied about the Messiah. When he comes, he could heal. In fact, doesn't it say, Isaiah 53 and verse 5, by his stripes we are healed. Jesus took the stripes upon his back so we wouldn't. He died so that we could live. We should, by all rights, then turn over our lives to him. He gave his life for us. Do we give our lives back to him as a living sacrifice like Romans 12, 1 and 2 says? Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, Paul wrote the Corinthian believers. It is a struggle for some to do that on a regular basis, even within the church these last days. We need help. This is a difficult day and age in the history of America. And I think that uh, if history continues, the history books that look back on this period of time will not have kind things to say about how we handled the things that we handled. We destroyed our country. Half the church left at the announcement of COVID and they never came back. 
COVID was a convenient excuse, but it was, it was something I believe that God allowed to separate the wheat from the chaff. I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful you love Jesus. I'm thankful that you can take the hard teaching and don't go somewhere where they serve up nothing but whipped cream and nuts on top of a Sunday Sunday. You need some solid meat from time to time. That's not stepping on your toes. That's just opening up the Word of God to you and you making the conviction, I just need to live by it. That's all there is. So would you stand with me as we close in prayer as the praise band comes up? Next week, Mark chapter 2. Feel free to read ahead. It's not cheating. Lord of heaven and earth, you got a plan for each one of us. <laughs>